Uh, most of us have probably used Stack Overflow to ask a bunch of questions. I mean, it's like one of the best places to go to ask a question about implementation, answer one, even edit one. But what most of us probably don't know is that Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky kind of looked at the what was the best of Dig, Wikipedia, forums, and blogs, and kind of took the best of that and kind of synthesized it into the Q&A product that we all know and love today. Um, we're going to talk about that, but first of all, I want to introduce Mr. Coding Horror himself, Jeff Atwood. Everyone give a hand. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Hopefully this will be a good session and we'll enjoy it. <laughs> Very good. I kind of wanted to, to start off, um, Jeff, you guys have kind of had a philosophy for a long time and that's kind of fail early, fail often, but improve. And it's kind of something we take to heart here as well at Zurb. And I kind of wanted to know kind of what goes into that philosophy, but also you guys also deploy like a new Stack Overflow every day. And so I kind of wanted to know why you guys kind of do that and kind of some of the challenges you face in doing something like that. Well, sure. Well, I think first of all, you have to discriminate like what, what type of business we have. And it's the business of community, right? Where everything on Stack Overflow was contributed by a fellow programmer. It wasn't us, right? I mean, if it was just us writing all the Stack Overflow content, it would be a very small site. Uh, so really, you, when you have a site like that, I think it, you have to build it uh, with the community. In other words, you have to be very transparent about how we're doing things, why we're doing things, because they're the ones doing the work that matter in the system. You know, they're the ones asking and answering the questions. And the questions that don't get answered you know, that ultimately is not a useful site. And I think part of the contract you have with the community is to say, look, here's how we're going to build it. Here's how we think we should build it. How do you think we should build it? In other words, to get their feedback mm -hmm. sort of, so you're running alongside the community, not sort of hurting them from behind in this really artificial way, right? right. Because uh, one of our early, well, I guess you'll have a question about this. I'll get into that. <laughs> but if you want to get to it now. Uh, but, but it gets to being genuine about like sort of why we're here, why we're all in the room, what we're here to do. Uh, ultimately, Stack Overflow is about learning. So you have to have an environment that, that cultivates learning. And a part of being in the classroom is, is that you're participating. You know, you're participating with your fellow students in, in helping everybody get educated on how to do things. Right, right. Now, getting back to failure. So I, I think one way of demonstrating that you're actually doing, you know, you're, you're walking the walk, not just talking the talk, is to actually deploy these changes and try them. Uh, so that's why we have a commitment on Stack Overflow to deploying every day. And some of the changes are very, very small. Some of them you won't actually notice. Uh, but the, the site is constantly alive. It's living. To me, uh, unless you're changing all the time, you're kind of dead. You know, if you have a product that hasn't changed in a year, two years, it's not really alive in a meaningful sense. You know, I think people in the community need to get a sense right. that like there's there's velocity. It's like we're doing things, things are happening, right? Like right. I give you feedback about how Stack Overflow works, and eventually things change. Maybe you know, one day, if you're lucky, if it's a really small change that, that we like, uh, the community likes, it goes in today. Uh, in the very broad sense of of adjustments to the community, like one example that it took us a while to figure this stuff out is that. Questions kind of aren't as valuable as answers in a Q&A system. I know this seems obvious in retrospect, <laughs> but it took us a while to figure that out. So when you ask a question, for the longest time you would get, say somebody upvotes your question, you would get 10 reputation points. It's like, oh, thank you for asking a good, clear, useful question, which is hard, right? right. I think that's one of the lessons right. of Stack Overflow is asking questions <clears throat> is hard. Uh, but we realized later that, that although questions are valuable, answers are more valuable because if you have a question that has no answers, it doesn't really matter how good the question is. What matters is, was someone 
able and willing to answer this question and provide this artifact for everybody to find on the internet uh, that we can all benefit from. So thus, we did this big rebalancing of reputation where we basically cut in half the reputation that people got from questions from 10 to 5. And you would think this would be a big controversial change, and in some ways it was, but we had the support of the community. I was really surprised when we did this. People were like, oh gosh, finally, you know, this is the way it always should have been. And uh, we're happy to make those changes because I feel like it ultimately results in a better community of people that are putting more effort into providing great answers than they are just sort of like constantly coming up with questions. Uh, nothing against questions, but they're sort of like, I view them as sand. It's like, you, you don't always have pearls, but you always have sand, okay? That's sort of the way the world works. There's just a lot of questions, right? Uh, but not a lot of answers. So you have to sort of rebalance the, the, the design of the system to favor the pearls, because that's really what people want to see. You know? They don't want to see a billion questions. They want to see 500 really great questions that have really great answers. So. And kind of to, to piggyback off of that, when you did make that kind of change, how did you guys kind of test that to see that people would respond to it? And how did you kind of collect feedback on it? Well, the number one mistake we made on Stack Overflow, and it was really my mistake entirely, was early on I had this attitude that on Stack Overflow was a little bit like Fight Club. You didn't discuss Stack Overflow on Stack Overflow because you weren't really there to discuss Stack Overflow. You were there to get better as a programmer. You were there to teach and learn from your peers about how to become better at this thing we do professionally, uh, or at least that we, that we love, right, even if you don't do it professionally. And so anybody, somebody would open the topic, be like, oh, I think Stack Overflow should work this way, or I should work this way. It's like, no, just like, don't go, go away, basically. <laughs> and after a while, the community said, you know what, this isn't working. We're going to have a whole other site that we're going to run where we're going to discuss nothing but how Stack Overflow works all day long, you know? <laughs> and I was like, we have failed, right? Like, I was like, this is bad. I was like, I, I don't know why I didn't see this until they physically started a site about Stack Overflow, I was like, this is crazy. I'm telling the people that love Stack Overflow the most, they're like, oh, I love Stack Overflow, I wish it worked this way. I'm telling them to basically screw off in not so many words, right? And that's not cool, right? That's, these are the, the most avid users of our system. So one of the first things we learned is like, you have to have what we call a meta, meaning a governmental site, sort of behind the scenes. If you've ever used Wikipedia, and I'm sure everybody has, there's a talk page where if you're curious about how Wikipedia, like how did this page get to be the way it is? Then you can go to the talk page, and although it's very, very difficult to figure out, which is a whole other issue, it's there, right? You can figure out the history of this page, why it is the way it is, the controversies, the different ways that the page is being constructed, all that stuff. Now, not everybody knows or needs to care about this stuff, but the people that do are the people that basically help you build Wikipedia, right? These are the most important people in the system in a lot of ways. Not that random browsers aren't important, they are, but these are the people synthesizing the content. Making them happy is extremely important. You know, and, and it's also good feedback, right? Like these are the people using the system and telling you this is the way it needs to work, this is the way I think it should work. Um, this is like they're designing your stuff for you, right? right? Uh, and telling them to go away is not a good option. So the first thing I would advise people is if you have a community like where, where the community is building the content, then you have to have a meta. You have to have a place where people can go and discuss, you know, why does the site work the way it does? So with this particular change, I went on to Meta and said, I, don't, I think the way we're doing this is broken. You know, I think that questions aren't as valuable as answers. And we've seen problems with this, where people would come on and just have hundreds and thousands of questions, but contribute no answers at all. And I was like, this isn't wrong. But I don't think they should have the same reputation level as someone who provided a thousand really great answers that got all one up each or what have you. Um, so that was the process. The process is to go to our Meta, make sure you have a Meta. Uh, where the people who love your site can congregate and talk about it, and then like vet some of these changes with them. Not all every tiny little change, because that would be incredibly tedious, but big ones where it's like this is going to affect the people using the site 
uh, we go in Meadow and try to talk about it in advance. And the community loves you for this, right? And what they don't love is when you spring changes on them <laughs> that like are, are sweeping and like, wait, 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 we didn't have any input into this change. Uh, and we did that a fair bit too, to be honest. Uh, but generally, if we thought it was going to be controversial, if we thought it was a change that would affect a bunch of the users on Stack Overflow, we tried to talk about it on Meta first. Say, is this a good idea? How should we do it? What do you think? I mean, and they would have input into like how we did things. And, and kind of how do you kind of filter through all of that feedback when you're asking about these changes, and how do you kind of interact to see which ones? that make the most sense before you actually deploy a change? A lot of it can be based on data. Another thing we do on Stack Overflow is all the contributions are Creative Commons licensed, so we, we cannot ever put your content behind a paywall. It's literally impossible, and we intentionally made that impossible by choosing a Creative Commons license from day zero of Stack Overflow. So every contribution you make, you're licensing to us. You still own it, but we have the right to use it, right? The community has the right to use it. That's what I mean when I say we, not, not us, Stack, or Stack Exchange, Inc. Um, so, you know, when you start off on the site, you have this confidence that, like, we're never going to turn evil, essentially, and, and take your content away from you. Very good. And kind of, kind of to go on that, I kind of, like, one of the things about Stack Overflow, it's, it's, it's used remotely by everyone, you know, and you kind of took that when you guys were building it as well, you know, this idea that it has to be built the way it's going to be used, which is remotely. You yourself had worked from home. There were mm -hmm. dozens of programmers around the world. Um, why did you guys kind of decide to take it like that and, and kind of have this remote kind of building of the system? And, and kind of what does that kind of actually do to shape the final product? Well, initially it was, it was more an issue of practicality. Uh, it wasn't an intentional design choice at that point because uh, Joel and I were starting. We didn't have like venture capital. We didn't have like, it, it wasn't really funded in any meaningful sense. Essentially, I, I funded it. We put in a little bit, the founders put in a little tiny bit of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I had developers that I knew that were great that happened to be available. Just, I mean like personal friends of mine that I had worked with in previous jobs um, that were fantastic. Uh, and they just happened to be available and of course they didn't live. One of them was in North Carolina and the other one was in uh, Oregon and they were available. So it was sort of like an accident at the beginning. It's like, well, these are the people that I have to do this with. Um, but then as we started building it, I started to realize that, that the way Stack Overflow works, it's, it's you know, a programmer in Brazil helping a programmer in New Jersey. You know? And they don't know each other, right? They don't need to know each other. All they have to do is have a shared love of, of programming and this idea that, hey, if I play by the rules of Stack Overflow, I get reputation, but I also learn stuff, and I also help other people learn things. You know, and I leave these really cool artifacts uh, that benefit me because they're attributed to me. Like all the goodness in an answer, it goes back to me. It's not like Wikipedia where who wrote the article on asphalt? Well, I don't know. It's not like there's a list of authors you can look at. Uh, there's not even, a, there's really just a list of pseudonyms, really, <laughs> if you dig into it. Uh, so it's this nice sort of virtuous cycle that you get, but it doesn't require you to be in the same room. And I, I think that for Stack Overflow, it's, it's leveraging the power of the world, I mean, in a very literal sense. And like, once we got further in, I found out that once I did stats, like only 36% of our traffic was from the US, and that's going down like every year. So mm. the world is a big place. And the cool thing about uh, programmers is that there's a lot of really talented programmers just everywhere. You know, that may not be famous, they may not work for Google or Facebook or Apple or whatever, but they're really good, you know? And they're kind of a little bit underemployed, <laughs> and they're a little bored. Uh, 
right? And that's okay. So people say, you know, Stack Overflow is powered by board programmers, and it really is true. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's true. Uh, but the cool thing about Stack Overflow is you can go on, and it's sort of a gainful way to spend your time. It's like you're teaching other programmers, you're learning yourself, you're getting reputation, you get like, this stuff is tracked, and that's what led to sort of Stack Overflow careers, this idea that, hey, if you are bored at work, and you don't want to be bored at work, if you'd like to work somewhere where, you know, everybody loves programming as much as you do, then you can go to Stack Overflow careers and sort of get that benefit of all the content that you put on the site. Say, hey, look, I really do know what I'm talking about, and I actually can communicate with other human beings in a way that makes sense, which, you know, and nothing against source control hosting, but I feel like that's the big piece you don't get from source control. Like, looking at someone's source, it tells you if they're a great programmer, but it doesn't tell you if you would like sort of like hate this person <laughs> if you worked with them, <laughs> right? That's the big missing piece. I mean, I love source, don't get me wrong, but like I love human communication, right? I love programmers that can actually talk to other programmers in a way that is reasonable and makes sense and explains things, and that's what we optimize for. And one of the greatest compliments we got in the history of Stack Overflow was somebody wrote me and he said, you know, I feel like I've been on Stack Overflow a long time and I've learned to be a better communicator. I've learned how to write clearly, I've learned how to construct answers that get upvotes because they're very clear, they answer the question, and they explain things in a way that makes sense to other human beings. I'm like, that's awesome. It's like, that's a skill that's gonna help you in every aspect of your life, not just how good of a programmer you are, but how can you communicate with like your children, your friends, your coworkers. This is just a valuable skill to have. So I love optimizing for communication. Although, you know, I love source code too, and I love programming, but you gotta put those things in the right order, and I feel like Stack Overflow does that. It's about human communication first, and sort of source and source control second. That's why you can't really post giant chunks of source code to Stack Overflow. And we'll tell you, like, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to post the minimum amount of code necessary to demonstrate the problem, and then explain it to us. Like, use your words, man, right? Explain the code. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And then we can help you, right? And, and kind of that kind of leads into my next question, kind of, you know, that optimization for communication and that need to explain things. What actually kind of was the reasoning behind starting Stack Overflow? Was it because of this need to better communicate, or was it uh, to be experts exchange, which uh, a lot of people actually kind of hate? It was really a little bit of both, because I think the cool <clears throat> thing I love, one thing I love, and if you guys are ever building a company or building a product or whatever, it's awesome to have like an enemy, right? Not in the sense that you actually <laughs> go out and fight this person, because that's ridiculous, but it's nice to have this clear good and, and, and evil continuum, right? Because with Experts Exchange, they had a good business of, of Q&A, but it was implemented in such a way that when you, if you, I don't know if you guys remember Experts Exchange, they've kind of gone away a little bit, thanks to Google and us, <laughs> uh, which is good. Uh, but you would go there and it would, you would do a search on, on Google or whatever web search engine you like, and you would end up on a page and it would say, like, here's the question, and the answers would be kind of garbled. They'd say, oh, you want to see the answers? Well, pay $19.95 a month and we'll show you the answers. And the tricky thing was, because of the rules in Google, they had to index the answer. If you scrolled all the way down to the very, very bottom, the answer would be there. So Joel and I looked at it and said, you know, that's actually a good system. It's kind of working if you took out all the evil, right? <laughs> you know, because you don't own your contributions there and all this right. other, it's just done in a really, really sleazy kind of way. Um, right. So that was certainly one of the impetuses for, for, for building Stack Overflow is like, take experts exchange, remove all the evil, and you have a pretty good system that works. And also, just from a selfish standpoint of, when I search for stuff on the internet, the type of pages I end up on, my fantasy world is like I control those pages because I can then control their quality. You know what I mean? So I love when I do a Google search, I end up on a Stack Overflow page, I can go in and click edit, and everyone in this room can do that now. 
Like, if you don't even have an account on Stack Overflow, you can click improve this answer or improve this question. Right now, you can go in and improve the content on that page. To me, that is what it's all about. It's like ending up on pages that you like, that load fast, that have reasonable information, may or may not be correct, I don't know. Uh, but it loads fast, it's easy to process, it's not filled with ridiculous amounts of ads. Uh, just really basic stuff like that. So that was the other impetus. Like, we just wanted the internet to sort of be better, you know, for programmers, selfishly, right? Like, I want good results that aren't experts of change that load fast and are clear. Uh, so that was sort of the other impetus. Uh, and then the, perhaps the third thing was the lessons Joel and I had seen from running our blogs and running communities was that I wanted to unlock the sense of, of what I call fun size participation on the internet. Because I, I have a blog at Coding Horror that I've written for a long time, and maybe some of you have been there. But it's really hard to write a blog for, for a lot of people. So when I tell people, you know what you should do? You should start a blog. Because I've started a blog, and I was really successful, and it changed my life. I feel a little bit like Jared at Subway. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I lost 300 pounds eating subs. You should go eat some subs. <laughs> right? This doesn't really, this isn't really actionable for most people. Um, you know? Right? Right? Uh, Whereas, when I can say to someone, hey, no big deal, you got five minutes to kill, go to Stack Overflow, find something you want to learn about, uh, read it, try to answer it, you know, and you've done this five-minute unit of work that is attributed to you, that you get all the benefit from, uh, and over time will be equivalent to, to sort of the blog that I had. Like, it, it lets you leave a breadcrumb, what I call a breadcrumb trail of your awesomeness on the internet. <laughs> You know, and, and it's really easy to get started. There's no friction. You don't even have to sign up. I mean, literally, you can go to Stack Overflow and start answering, like, no account. You just start typing and click submit, like, on a blog comment. Uh, so that was the other reason. Are we doing questions now or later? Um, we'll do them in the about, about about 10 more minutes. Um, but I kind of wanted to, to kind of, you already kind of touched upon it with uh, Experts Exchange and, and communities and blogs. Like you guys kind of all, you know, kind of took a look at all these other forums like Dig and Wikipedia and all these other things, and kind of took the best parts of that, kind of put it together into Stack Overflow. I know that's a oversimplification. No, it actually, I don't but, think it is. But <laughs> good, good, I'm on track. <laughs> but um, you know, you kind of took those parts. I kind of wanted to know what was the process there when you guys did do that, and then kind of what were some of those opportunities that those sites missed that you guys saw that you could improve upon and kind of innovate on? Well, sure. So in the process of building Stack Overflow, we, we decided, okay, this Q&A thing makes sense. We can do it like Expert Change without all the evil. Then, then we did a lot of research. I spent a month just looking at every Q&A site on the internet, and there were like so many, and they're really big. Like, I didn't realize Q&A was such a large genre of the internet, but it really was even before Stack Overflow. Um, and part of that research we realized was like we, we kind of want to build a Frankenstein monster out of just the good parts of the Frankenstein, like not the bad brain jar, but like the good brain jar. Um, so that was the process of figuring out like what is the good brain jar and like what works on the internet. And we certainly we loved Wikipedia. This idea that everybody can edit this, it stays up to date. It doesn't get like you know you're not looking at a five-year-old forum post that you know nobody has touched in five years. It may or may not still be valid. Who knows? Uh, so the, the, the process of editing from Wikipedia, we knew we wanted. Uh, ultimately, we wanted to even let anonymous users edit, which we just got to like a year and a half ago. It took us a while to get there. Uh, and then certainly voting from Dig and Reddit. Like I still remember my first um, Reddit experience. I'm pretty sure it was Reddit, it wasn't Dig, because I didn't really care for Dig. Uh, I posted some dumb comment and then got downvoted. And I was like, wow, that felt really bad. And then I felt chastised. I felt like someone slapped my wrist. Like, why did you post that dumb thing here? And I was like, you're right. I posted something dumb. Why did I? God, I'm so dumb. 
you know? And I was like, it worked. It, it, why did it work? It didn't make any sense because like, I don't know these people. I don't care if they vote me down, right? But it, it bothered me, right? Like as a human being, it's like, I got downvoted, you know? Um, and I was like, this is a powerful, powerful thing. Like obviously you want the best content at the top and, and, and the least relevant at the bottom and perhaps the really bad stuff way at the bottom, right? <laughs> uh, so this process of voting made sense, even though it is kind of cruel, right? The idea that you can get downvoted all the time. We have people telling us, oh, you shouldn't allow people to downvote. If you downvote, you must leave a comment explaining why you're downvoting. And I was like, you know what? It's a little bit tough, right? But it's tough love. It's tough love. The community needs to love you a little bit. And that's tough love. If we're not going to be honest with you and tell you, you know what, that really wasn't good content, that really wasn't appropriate content, then you're not showing the right kind of love to your users. You're not being honest with them in your love. Uh, so that's why the downvoting in particular w was important. But one thing we did with downvoting that's a little, a little sophisticated is downvoting actually costs you reputation on answers. This is a tweaky thing. But downvoting costs you a tiny, tiny, I mean a sliver. I'm talking like literally one reputation. And most users have hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands of reputations. So you would think, oh, one reputation, this doesn't matter, right? People will downvote all the time. And all the time we have users like, I don't want to downvote because I'll lose rep, right? I'm like, wow, that's a really powerful motivator. So in other words, in order to downvote something, you have to really not believe that it's inappropriate or not useful or doesn't belong on the site. So we tried to balance it, right? Like we tried to say, look, downvoting is powerful, but we also put in these controls so that it wouldn't be done indiscriminately. You know, it's like, I'm gonna downvote everything this guy did because I don't like this guy, because uh, you knew that was gonna happen, right? Um, so continuing around, the other thing from blogs we got was this idea of ownership. When you start a question on Stack Overflow, nobody should care more about the answer to that question than you. You should be dedicated to your question and getting an answer to your question. In other words, we, we, we have to have this advice, and it's in the fact, about, look, you know, I didn't get an answer to my question. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? It's like, well, did you go out and do more research on your question? Did you try to make your question as good as it could possibly be? Totally clear, totally simple, awesome repro case. You know, I looked on the internet, I found this and this and this, and but none of that worked for me. Did you do any research? Like, what did you do? Did you just come on and just start typing, or did you think, hmm, how am I going to ask my question? What other people have asked questions like this? Like, show us that you've put some effort in, right? Um, and that's a concept of ownership. Uh, the other thing you get as being an owner is you can s uh, select an accepted answer. And this is really a social convention. The idea of accepted answer on Stack Overflow does not mean, oh, this is the correct answer. You know, we shall all look at this answer and you know, revel in its glory as being the correct answer to this problem. It just means that the person who started the question said, hey, of all the answers I got, I like this one the best. For whatever reason, doesn't matter. Could be that that was the particular solution. Like, there's usually more than one way to do it, right? I mean, this is programming in a nutshell. There's probably a thousand ways to do it, of which only a hundred can be verified correct, even a little. <laughs> Uh, so there's always more, more than one way to do it. So it's just a signal to the community that this helped the question owner. But we, all, we would also see cases where the accepted answer will dock to the top, just as a convenience. But you'd also see right under that, the community might have upvoted another answer more than that. And you see that, so you're like, okay, I got two answers. One the owner liked, and one that the community liked. And now I have two choices, right? And you just read in descending vote order, which is the default. And you're like, okay, I have these five good solutions to choose from. Um, but that's about being an ownership. That's like giving power to the person who owns the question because you know, this is your child. This is your responsibility to raise your child and make sure that it grows up correctly and not stunted. Um, and nobody's going to do it but you, right? The community's not going to do that for you. Uh, and also when you leave comments, like you're highlighted as the owner. Kind of like, you ever been on a blog where the blogger will comment, and you know, it's in a different color because that's the owner of the blog post? It's exactly that feeling. Like you get special status in this post because you are the question owner. You know, use your power responsibly, you know? Um, and it's also, of course, attribution. You know, like your name is on everything, whatever pseudonym you choose. We don't require you to use real names or anything like that. Like that, 
but we want you to really own this stuff and believe in it and say, this is attached to my name, therefore I need it to be good, representative of who I am and what I do. Um, and then also from the gaming world, if you look up the word gamification, that's kind of a weird word. It didn't really exist when we started Stack Overflow. Uh, but when I was setting up and thinking, okay, here's the behaviors I want to have on the site, because this is what I think works for learning and for teaching in a community of professionals, uh, technical professionals, it was about gameplay elements. It was like, how do I make this, this gameplay fun and satisfying to do the right things? And by that, I mean things that benefit you, per, you know, selfishly, and things that benefit the community. Okay? And when I sat down and did that, I realized these are all like basically video things I learned from video games. Uh, and one of that is, if you look at the badge system on Stack Overflow, so rather than having this long document of, here's how you participate on Stack Overflow, you know, go read this back, have this video tutorial about how to play this game, if you start a video game, I mean, who is the last person that actually read a video game manual? Who boots up Halo and goes, no, 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 we can't start Halo, I have to read the manual first. Hold on, <laughs> hold on, right? No, no, page five, I'm almost done. We can boot up the game in a minute. Nobody does this, right? You start up Halo or whatever, and the first level is a tutorial. They don't say, this is the Halo tutorial. It's just you start playing the game. It's like, oh, you have this one enemy. Can you get him, right, with your giant blaster? And he's like, I'm unarmed. Uh, and hey, now I learned how to fire my weapon. I, look, an obstacle. How can I possibly get over this tiny obstacle? Maybe if I jumped, right? So it's teaching you all this stuff. Here's how to jump. Here's how to use the weapons. Here's how to play the game, all this stuff. But it's, you're having fun. You're playing. You learn the game by playing the game, OK? You don't learn by. <laughs> if you ever read a giant fact to figure out the site, you're kind of failing. I mean, we have a fact just because people, programmers are very anal and they must know every little thing about how things work. Um, but in general, you learn by playing the game. And the game teaches you how to play as you go in a very sort of just-in-time manner. And the badge system on Stack Overflow supports this. You know, all the little, the easy badges, what we call the bronze badges, are there to, to teach you, oh, here's how you do things, here's why you do things. And as you do it, you get the sensation of, nobody told me to do this. I figured it out for myself because I'm awesome, right? You know? <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. And there's a really great YouTube video. It's about Mega Man, the design of the game Mega Man. And he goes, in, it's a fantastic video because he spends like 10 minutes, and it's actually watchable for the entire 10 minutes, explaining why this worked in Mega Man. And modern games have kind of given up. They just sort of, they put a little dialogue box like, here's what you must do next. Whereas Mega Man was like, I'm going to show you some stuff, and you'll be able to figure it out. You know, it's like, I trust you. I think you're smart enough to figure this out. And, and they give you a controlled environment to explore your little skill, and then you move on to the next thing. And that was something we very much internalized at Stack Overflow, uh, the, the gamification type stuff early on, before it was even called gamification. And then after the fact, I went to Wikipedia. and I was like, oh, we're listed in Wikipedia under gamification. I was like, I don't even know who put that there. It wasn't me. <laughs> right? And you have to do some digging now. Well, I, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to touch Wikipedia. So you know, it gets updated somehow. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I want to ask one last question, and then we'll move on to audience questions. And you've kind of touched upon a lot of this already in little bits and pieces. But I was kind of wondering, how did you guys kind of narrow in and focus on those four features, some of which you've already talked about, which is vote, uh, ability to edit, you know, tagging, and then also user reputation. You know, now it's based on answers as opposed to, to based on questions. So kind of why that narrow focus on those four as the four core features, and how have you guys uh, worked continuously to improve those features? Well, I think they were all examples of sort of failures in existing systems. So the voting is important, both from a reputation standpoint, but also because say you found a result in a forum thread, pretend it's before Stack Overflow. Um, you found a programming result on a forum thread. Well, there's hundreds of pages, well, at least maybe five pages in this forum thread. 
are you on the right page? Like, mm -hmm. where, where's the good content in this thread? And voting fixes that because it says, okay, the good content as voted by the community, assuming people are voting, will be at the top. So you're never more than one or two sort of positions from the, the, the most relevant information in the thread. So that's where voting comes from. It's like the observation that it sucks to have to figure out like what's the good content in a given area for my problem. And again, within the, the scope of Q&A, there's a question that can be definitively answered, not you know, what's my favorite flavor of ice cream or who's your favorite X-Man, but stuff that can actually have answers, right? I mean, they have to be clear about what we're talking about here. Um, so that was one. And then ownership, one thing that bothered me about ownership was that um, you know, programmers really like showing off what they know, you know, and I think that's cool. That that's how you learn. But part of it is really showing off. It's like, oh, I've seen this 30 times. Uh, let me show you, you know, how cool and smart I am by <laughs> explaining to you how, how to unlock the answer to your problem. Uh, and you can't do that without identity, right? Like on Wikipedia, you can show off how cool and smart you are, but you'll never really get the credit for it. You know, the humanity gets the credit, which is still a good thing if you can go that high level. But I don't think you need to, right? I think you could get uh, enough stuff out of identity for that to work. So I'd seen that not be, it's too diffuse on Wikipedia. It's like, mm. because you don't get credit, it's like, well, you know, it's a little bit too abstract for most people mm. to get in and have that five minute fun sized unit of participation with their name next to the thing that they, they contributed. Um, what was the other? Oh, um, uh, ability to edit and then Oh, editing. editing, of course, of course. So editing is what we call tombstoning, and I mentioned this earlier, where it's the same problem on a forum. You go in, it's a five year old forum result. Is it still valid? I mean, it's not like anyone can go and edit, or, well, I guess they could, but it's so rare. Whereas communally edited stuff stays up to date. When I go to Wikipedia for a given topic page, I know that it's going to have the obsessively, you know, updating people are going to have the, even the last 10 minutes of information that's going to be in there. I don't need the last 10 minutes on Stack Overflow, but if it's a question about, you know, C-sharp circa 2005, C-sharp has changed quite a bit in that time frame. So somebody could go in and edit it, and we also have, if you look at every Stack Overflow post, you know the concept of pair programming. You know, it's like one additional pair of eyes makes code way better than just a single pair. Just adding that second pair is huge. Even if it's only just two people, it, like, it's a massive increase in quality. So in every post, you can see side by side, this is pair programming in the small. You have the person who made the post, and you have the person who said, hey, I'm going to help you by editing this post to make it even more awesomer, right? Together, we're going to make this really cool thing, right? collaboratively, and you get that visual effect. I, at the time, I didn't realize how significant that was, but it really worked, because it really is, that's the principle. It's like, help your peers become better by helping them, you know? And then together, you make this really awesome answer that everybody's proud of, right? It's this really, really uh, good feeling. And you get this confidence that, hey, this is live content. It's alive, right? It's not dead. It's not this tombstone of, of data that's just sitting there. Who knows if it's up to date or not? Uh, so. If you didn't have the sensation of when you go to any page on Stack Overflow, and I encourage you to do this, if you end up on a Stack Overflow page and you're like, eh, you know what, that's not as good as it could have been, it's like click improve, like help us make it better, right? Either give another answer, that's fine too, then you get the full credit, right? Um, even if it's a three-year-old question, yes, please answer it. If you have a better answer, please give us a better answer. Or if it's some little thing in somebody's answer, click improve and just, it takes no more than two minutes, right? You don't even have to log in, make that content better. You know, and then everybody has the confidence, like, hey, this is a living thing. It's alive, you know? So I think a lot of that was just reactions to the problems with, with what was already out there. You know, more so than us, like, coming up with this magic list of things to do. It's like, let's identify the problems with the existing systems and fix them. Sounds like, a, sounds like you just kind of narrowed in, here's what they didn't do, and here's what we can do better that, that they're not yeah, addressing. Yeah, or what do I wish the world looked like? Right, you right. Know? And, and I had a certain idea of what that is. Right, right. And it's kind of like how 
innovation really begins, is like looking at things that you see and you're like, well, here's how I would improve it, and then you go off and improve it. Well, I think the status quo is frustrating, because the status quo, a lot of people, I'm currently looking at another problem where people are like, oh, the status quo is pretty good. I'm like, no, the status quo is not actually very good. <laughs> I was like, it's like having a cold for your entire life, and then one day you wake up, and hey, I don't have a cold, I feel really good. I didn't know I could feel this good, right? You know, it's like, don't accept the status quo. You know, even if you have to rebuild a few, you know, reinvent a few wheels, right. I think that's okay, as long as you can identify the clear problems that you're addressing, even if they're small, because the small things really add up, I think. I mean, if you look at the measurement of happiness, it's not big bad things happening to you, or big good things happening to you. It's, it's like having a day where tons of small things happen to you that feel good, that's what happiness is. And those small things in the aggregate really matter. So I, I think that's when people look at status quo, it's like, there's nothing big wrong here. I was like, but yes, but there's hundreds of small things wrong. And that's worse, you know? So I think that's, that's the way I like to look at it. Very good. And, and on that, uh, that's a great bit to, to kind of end it for my part. The question was, open it up to audience what do you I know do about There were a couple of hands that got raised. So let's get to, to deal it. with it? Am I picking or are you picking? You go ahead and pick. I'll let, well, you, I'll let you do You're that. in the front, so. <laughs> Uh, so spam is an interesting problem for us, particularly because we do allow anonymous contributions. Uh, so the, the good news is the bad guys are not very smart. So <laughs> they really are not. So if you can just be a tiny bit smarter than the bad guys, that's usually enough. Like, for example, requiring that JavaScript be enabled to post gets rid of, like, 95% of bots that would do spam type stuff. Um, and then, like, really simple heuristics can also catch a lot of it. Like, how many links are you posting? You're a new user posting a post with 10 links in it. Hmm, right? That's usually bad. <laughs> uh, if you look at the pattern of the stuff that's coming in, it's, heuristics can get you a really long way towards just eliminating, like, the most common kinds. Uh, and then, of course, we do rely on the community to flag spam. Usually it's more self-promotional. A lot of the, the ideas that come in, one of the things I have to tell people is you don't really have to worry about outside attacks. It's kind of a myth that all these people are waiting to attack you. Uh, what actually happens if you do community is the attacks come from within. The attacks are people within your community doing the wrong things, either because they think it's the right thing or because they want it to be the right thing. Like, for example, self-promotion is much more pernicious on Stack Overflow than any really outside attacks. It's like, oh, I'm just going to work in a link to my little library here and every one of my answers, you know, even if it doesn't really relate. And you're, you have to have conversations with these users going, hmm, you know, <laughs> that's not really why you should be here. You shouldn't be here to promote your library. If it's the answer to the question, yes, please, by all means, post it. But if the only reason, if every one of your answers includes a link to your little magical thing, it's like, I don't think you're really here for the right reasons. So that's the harder problem. But they're both interesting problems. It's just that one is way more difficult and takes more subtlety in how you handle it. The, the attacks from within is what I call those versus attacks from without. Yeah. The question was um, about the reputation model that Stack Overflow uses and how you actually uh, build uh, your reputation. Well, the, the implied problem you're getting to is, is how do you get people to vote? Now, on Stack Overflow, there was a lot of voting from early on. Uh, the way to think about this is you don't ever want to give people credit for just doing something repetitively. Like, for example, this would be the post count on a traditional forum. It's like, how do I increment my post count? Well, I type a post and I click Submit. I type a post and I click Submit. It doesn't matter how good the post is. It doesn't matter if it's on topic. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like, you incremented a counter. Congratulations, right? 
this is the wrong metric. So you have the right idea, which is reputation has to come from other users. They're saying, oh, cool, that really worked, or that was a good post, or that made sense, or, you know, hey, welcome to our community. You're, you can make complete sentences, right? That's okay. Because <laughs> no? that's a bar for some people. Um, so you have the right idea that vote, the, the reputation has to come from other people, but it, boy, getting people to vote can be really, really tricky. Uh, a lot of the stack, some of the other stack exchange communities, like the smaller ones, it's a real challenge because they have a lot of drive-by users depending on the topic. Like Android has horrible, horrible voting rates because it's just a bunch of people that vaguely have a connection to Android. Um, that's much trickier. All I can really think of at that point is just reduce the friction to voting. Make sure it's really easy to get that first vote in to sort of get somebody over the hump. Like, does this person, it has to come from another user. There's no getting around this two-user interaction system that you have. Um, but just think about ways like, how do I make it really easy to vote? How do I sort of maybe nag people to vote a little bit? <laughs> like, ooh, look, you can vote here, or uh, give them some reward system for voting. Like, for example, on Stack Overflow, there's a reward for basically casting your first vote. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's a bronze badge. It's like, oh, you, you got an upvote. You know what I mean? So, like, make it a badge so people seek it out. It's like, oh, can you please upvote me, right? Like, on eBay, people are constantly nagging me. It's like, update my, <laughs> provide feedback so that I can have my reputation go up, right? They should be doing this. You should be building incentive systems that make people nag other people to vote a little bit, not too much. Um, because it really has to come from the community, right? You can't just say, vote, you must vote. It's like, get people to nag people about it a little bit. That's my main suggestion. Uh, I'll just kind of go a little bit. So the question was, um, what separates uh, Stack Overflow from other Q&A sites like Quora? Uh, Quora. So Quora is interesting because it's really more tied to the social graph, whereas we don't look at the social graph really at all. We look, the graph we look at is interest in the topic. You know, Quora is one big site that covers everything, right? Everything. Uh, well, which can work. I mean, it works for some topics, but whereas when you go to Stack Overflow, you're there because you love fill-in-the-blank programming, right? And if you go to Bicycle Stack Exchange, you're there because you love fill-in-the-blank bicycles, right? That's what matters. It's not who you know, it's what you love, okay? Uh, so that's the primary difference. The other difference is that Quora doesn't really, they support basically discussion questions. You can ask questions that can't really be answered, but can only be discussed. Like, what's the coolest thing I can do in San Francisco? I don't know, what is the coolest thing you can do in San Francisco, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just not the kind of question we would really allow. Because it can't really be answered, like show me science, show me some study that supports this, tell me about your experience that documents why you would feel this way, right? And we, we were really kind of dicks about that, to be honest. Like we, we require that, you know, like we were like, look, you can't do this here. We will, we will tell you to go away a little bit in a nice way. <laughs> uh, whereas Core doesn't, they just they embrace pretty much all forms of questions that I can, that I can see. So to me, that's noise. Right, because I'm a technical OCD kind of guy and I don't really care about what's your favorite hex. Um, but it does open it up to other things. It's a lot more like a forum, really, in that, in that sense. Um, so we did incorporate a bunch of elements from Quora, probably more than I, than I can, eventually we got to it. Like, now we have sort of real-time updates, which Quora always did. Um, and they were sort of like nice-to-haves. They were like, oh, cool, you know, we could do that. Um, Quora, I think, had uh, anonymous user editing before we did, or at least, I think you still have to be logged in, though. I don't think they ever had actually anonymous user editing. But they had more permissive editing than we did. There were just sort of some nice-to-haves that we saw in Quora. I was like, okay, that would be nice to have. But nothing in the core sort of way we approach the world is really the same, because we're all about love the topic first, love the information first, and be really strict about what information you will accept first. That's the premise of our system. Only support discussion insofar as it gets people good questions and good answers. Whereas Quora does not enforce that at all. So that's the main difference. Yes. So the question was basically, um, what would Jeff like to see in the future of Stack Overflow? 
uh, well, now nothing, because I'm not actually at Stack Exchange anymore. <laughs> um, but the philosophy lives on. So one of the reasons I was comfortable sort of leaving Stack Overflow and leaving Stack Exchange was because it's a little bit like founding a religion. I don't really believe in building a product. I believe in founding a religion. It's like, this is what we believe, you know? And the community, you know, my final advice to the community is like, you've done a great job, now keep going, right? Like, keep going. Keep, keep believing in this stuff, because it matters, right? Um, and I have total confidence that they'll, they're going to figure this stuff out. The community and, and the rest of the team at Stack Exchange is going to figure this stuff out. You know, like it, it's about setting the precedent and, and having the, the belief systems that you need to have to have progress, uh, more so than what we do now, what we do now, what we do now. It's like having the vision is is really what matters more than the actual super specific things. And I will say that too. Another reason I was comfortable leaving is like we kind of did what we set out to do. To be honest with you, like we got anonymous editing in. There's nothing really missing from the original vision. It took four years. But I think we achieved everything in the original vision. Um, now, speculatively, you know, what could we do to get to the, the, the next, next level? Um, that's tough, right? Because outside of programming, I don't know. I mean, we have an enormous site for programmers and respectably sized sites for, for other topics, but nothing of, if you look at, go to stackexchange.com, which has a site directory, and you can go to the sites uh, list, and you can sort by size, and you can see that we have like a Jupiter and like a bunch of Plutos, right? So it's tricky. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever reach the tipping point on other topics. But to be honest, I'm happy for it just to be programmers learning about other stuff and people that are technical learning about other stuff. That makes me happy. I don't need it to take over the world, but that, that's the vision. Jeff, we're at 1 o'clock if you want to take a couple more questions. Yeah, I think we can get to 1, 2, 3. I'm going to do 3. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> All right, you, sir. So the question was basically, you know, when building a product, how do you kind of avoid the rat's nest of distractions and kind of get to that MVP? Well, sure. Well, I have different feelings about this than Joel does. So my feeling on this is that it is about leadership from within, about setting direction. Um, and you have to decide, the question you have to ask yourself is, how, is this on mission? What is our mission, first of all, right? That's what it implies. But as long as you have a good mission statement, you should be able to look at it and have a brief discussion with the engineer and say, is this really on mission? Does this advance our goal, the reason we set out to do this stuff? You know? And at the point, if you find out that the mission statement is unclear, that's what you need to fix. It's not so much that people want to do crazy things. It's your mission statement isn't clear about what you're trying to accomplish. And I think until you fix that, you're going to have that constant problem of like people, oh, what if we do this? What if we do this? Like, well, you can't tell if it's on mission or not. Because your mission statement isn't clear enough about what, you know, what it is you set out to do and how you set out to do it. Like, for example, anything on Stack Overflow that, that's not Q&A you know, or, or directly supports the Q&A mission, you have to kind of disallow and say, well, you know, that's a good idea, but I don't know if that services the mission. So that's my main advice is just try to get that really right. And every time that comes up, view as an opportunity to fix the mission statement so that everybody's on the same page or at least plus or minus 20%. Yes, you, sir. So basically the question was, how did uh, Jeff and uh, Joel kind of build the uh, community of Stack Overflow? Sure. So Joel obviously is a, you know, a huge, important ally to have because he's done a ton of community work over the years, like me, sort of a blogger, although he doesn't like to call it a blog. And he ran the Joel on Software discussion boards for a long time, and he based a lot of his findings on that. So I tended to wait feedback from team members that had either sort of built communities um, like Joel and I had, and sort of see, had certain experiences from doing it. Or those that were really avid Stack Overflow users, we love to hire from the community. Like we hired uh, a, a, number, like, uh, a number of people that were from Stack Overflow, right? So they had feelings about how things should work based on their 
you know, they did it. They lived it, right? They were in our system, living and breathing it for a long time. And one of, I used to say one of our pet things we would do is if we hire you, you get to implement your pet feature, you know? So one way to get your pet feature was to get hired by Stack Exchange. Because uh, usually, you know, if we hired them, they sort of knew what was going on. We're like, okay, you were right about that, and we would put it in. Um, and also data. Like, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but since everything is Creative Commons, uh, you can look at the data and analyze it to support sort of some change that you want to make. Like, I want to change a certain behavior in Stack Overflow, so let's see if the data supports that. You know, what's the current behavior? Like, one little trivial change we made that I was surprised had a big effect, you can do a bounty on a question, meaning your question isn't getting answered, so you're going to attach some of your own reputation to the question as a, as a bonus. Like, if somebody gives me an answer I really like, you're going to get 250 of my reputation, you know? And what would happen is that was a seven-day period, and at the end of that seven days, they had to award it or it just sort of got awarded on their behalf, and people constantly complain. It's like, oh, I missed the award interval. I'm like, well, you had seven days, right? And they were like, just give us that one more day. And I was like, is that really going to matter? And, and I was like, okay, fine, you have one more day. It's like, who cares, just do it. And that did matter. We found that like, if you added that one extra day, there was a significant increase in the people awarding the bounties, right? So this was a good way to have that discussion. It was like, okay, well, let's try it. And it's not hurting anything, right? It's like one more day in the bounty. I was a little bit against it just because, you know, get your shit together, man. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, award your bounty, right? Like, you get emails, you get all this stuff. Uh, but it worked, right? So that's the kind of decisions that, that I would hear. It's like, what kind of research have you done? Is it supported by the community asking for it? That's big as well. And then, like, what kind of data can you assert to say this is going to kind of work, right? So what kind of energy can you muster behind your suggestions? So, yeah. The question was, how do you actually get people to start using your service? Uh, be famous. So that's the cheating answer, right? I mean, we, we cheated, right? Because Joel and I had these huge audiences of programmers that were listening, right? And that's one of the reasons I want to do this is like I had this ball of energy. I was like, wow, all these people are listening to me. I was like, cool, awesome. Now what, right? <laughs> and uh, so, so we cheated, right? We cheated to some extent as far as bootstrapping, we definitely cheated. You know, if a random programmer in, in Topeka, Kansas started a programming site, they have much more difficulty getting people to initially come there, seed it with questions and answers. Um, so I know that's not a very satisfying answer, <laughs> but it's, it's what we did. So what I would seek out is if you're starting something is try to find an ally that, that is a little bit famous, that is willing to like what you do and say, hey, this is cool, go look at this, right? You know, because I certainly did, like for example, when we had a WordPress site, I know Matt Mullenweg a little bit, and I was like, hey, Matt, we have this WordPress site. Could you just, as a favor to me, say, hey, tweet, like, there's a new WordPress site on Stack Exchange. It's pretty cool. And he did, and it was awesome, right? It was like, hey, that helped, right? So try to exploit those kind of relationships. Uh, well, exploit's not the right word. It's <laughs> do, be friends with people that, that, that can sort of make that stuff happen for you uh, would be my main suggestion. And if what you're building is cool, I think they will. I do that all the time. It's like, hey, this is cool. I tweet it out to my followers or whatever. It's like, if it's cool, then I'm happy to help. You know, so make it cool and find allies. Yes, one more question. The question was, um, if uh, Jeff was doing uh, Stack Overflow over again, would he use the same technologies as he did before, or would he use uh, some other technology? Uh, sure. So for what Stack Overflow did, I think it was the correct set of technologies. You know, cause, and I think really the key decision point there is whether you want to be open source or not. Uh, if you're going to be open source, then you, you want to kind of, there's just too much friction in the Microsoft stack. You can do it. I mean, people do it. But I think there's a little bit too much friction to participation, those barriers to like getting Visual Studio, getting SQL Server, or whatever the other dependencies are. 
although they have really great free versions of that stuff now, for the record, and they have a great like incubator program called BizSpark. So you can do it. And I, we love the Microsoft stack. I mean, it did, it, I love C Sharp. I think it's an amazing language. It's evolving very rapidly in really good ways. And SQL Server performs like a, like a monster. It's great, but very expensive. <laughs> um, so I think the key decision point is, there, are you going to be fully open source? If you're going to be fully open source, you have to pick something else. So I think choice of technology matters a little in the sense of open source or not initially. Um, and then beyond that, like what type of programmers do you want to attract? You know, how obscure do you want to be? Um, you know, if you're going to pick something uh, very experimental and new, like Node.js, you might attract a certain sort of cutting edge programmer, but the risk is like everything's going to change in two years probably, I think, for Node. Like there's no frameworks, right? The frameworks are going to appear. You're going to have to rewrite everything. Um, so there's also like where are you on the technology adoption curve? So whether you want to be open source or not, where do you want to be on the technology adoption curve? What type of programmers do you want to attract? Like if you want just tons of programmers from, you know, like I want to choose between 100 people on careers, Stack Overflow careers, then you should probably pick PHP to be honest with you. Although I'm by no means a fan, there's tons of people that do it. There's tons of tooling and resources around it. So I, I think you just have to map on the continuum where you want to be. And also like what you're good at, right? Like if you just love, you know, PHP, then go with PHP, go with what you love, right? So, yeah. Okay, so I think we'll close it there. Very good. Well, thank you very yeah. much, Jeff, for coming by. It was a super good talk, and I uh, enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. Yeah.